Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 1203. It's great to have you with us for the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The latest on the showdown between Apple and Fortnite. It is dragging out in court. Halloween merchandise filling store aisles. We'll get a preview of what retailers expect from the spooky holiday. That's in our next segment. Right now, the big economic headliners, unemployment claims, leading into Fed policy. We welcome Matt Matigan, CEO of Blue World Asset Managers. You can find him online at blueworldam.com. Uh, Matt, so we have first time unemployment claims 351,000, a little higher than expected. Is there a reason to be concerned about that? Uh, I don't think so yet. Uh, the The number is just slightly above the moving average, and it tends to trade places a little bit above, a little bit below, but the overall trend is decidedly down and headed in the right direction. So unless we start to see several sustained weeks in a row like this, we're not going to get too excited about it. And uh, you're mentioning the trend line. That, that's really what's important, right? Especially coming out of the pandemic uh, highs in unemployment. Absolutely. I, we, we never get too excited about a single data point. It, it just doesn't tell us that much. We have to see it within the context of what it's been doing over time. And that trend is a, it, it's the best indicator that, uh, you know, that we look to to make sure we understand what's happening. Yeah, when you see the, the uh, people who continue to be unemployed, I mean, that, that went up a little bit, too. Uh, is that another big one? Because you, you have first-time claims, you have continuing claims, and then you have the overall uh, number of people actually working in the workforce. It's, it's not just any one of those metrics that's most important. I absolutely agree. The headline numbers come out, and that's what tends to drive the reactions. But all of these reports have literally hundreds of lines of uh, tables and data and comparisons. And to get a true picture of what's happening, a lot of times the headlines are misleading, and, and we've talked about that before. Uh, those are what get the reactions, but it, you know the old rule holds. The devil is always in the details. So Federal Reserve looking like they're going to scale back some of the stimulus. Uh, give us a thumbnail sketch on, on what's expected out of the Fed here and, and how it may affect the economy. 
Well, it's starting to feel a lot like the entire committee is bracing their backs against the floodgates. Uh, what they're really concerned with is a repeat of the taper tantrum from the last time they started pulling back. So they're really giving us a very, very long glide path with regard to making sure, especially international markets, are aware of their plans ahead of time. But they keep referring to the inflation problem is transitory. Uh, well, everything is transitory, and we don't see in the data and especially in the comments of executives uh, coming out of a lot of these surveys, uh, we don't think inflation is going to blunt anytime soon. That's really our, our biggest concern with regard to current risk to the economy. Yeah, interesting, too. I mean, briefly, with the inflation issue, too, I mean, it, your, your portfolio is losing value because of inflation, even if your portfolio is staying flat. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, if, you, uh, if you put the money in a piggy bank and do nothing else with it, it necessarily erodes value just because everything continues getting more expensive. Portfolios are no different uh, if, if things are moving sideways in the markets. Thanks so much. Matt Matigan. Find him online, blueworldam.com. Halloween, just over a month away. Store shelves are stocked with costumes, candy, and other items targeted for the annual Fright Fest. Let's get a closer look. Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide. Uh, Jan, it seems like retailers are expecting, I mean, things, I don't know if it's a total rebound since before the pandemic, but they expect this to be pretty good. Yes, it is a total rebound because last year was down, but it wasn't down that much. This year, we're anticipating being over $10 billion in sales. If that's true, it'll be the biggest sales day that we've or the biggest sales event we've ever had for Halloween. And right now, people are telling us they're going to spend about 30% of that online, but they're going to spend 40% of that money in discount stores, which of course is costumes as well as candy. But returning to your point, the stores are well stocked part. The stores are not as well stocked part as they would like to be because we've had lots of shipping delays on Halloween goods coming into the country. So if you want a costume for Halloween, you should go buy it now. What does that do to their margin uh, on, on some of these sales? Seems like they can raise the prices if there's less stock. Their margin should be very, very good on this and everything else they're going to do right up through holiday because we do have less supply than the consumers want to buy. So there shouldn't be much at all in the way of unplanned markdowns, even on goods like for Halloween, unless, of course, some of those containers show up after Halloween. Pretty hard to sell Halloween stuff after Halloween. So that stuff would have to be packed away or marked down deeply. But everything that gets on the shelf is going to go out at full price between now and Halloween because we're probably going to be up from a little over $8 billion to, as I said a minute ago, over $10 billion in sales. More people intend to participate than last year by about two percentage points of people from 64 to 66%. But each of those people spending intend to spend a lot more than they did last year. So that's where we're getting that real big boom in spending. It's per person spend. And that's because they're having more parties and they're buying more costumes and they're even planning on buying more candy than last year because well, they anticipate this year having trick-or-treaters. Yeah, that's, and they feel more comfortable actually giving candy to trick-or-treaters where last year a lot of people, they, they just sort of put a sign up. They didn't want to deal with it. Exactly. And so we're certainly, see, we're certainly seeing people act as if they're going to have a normal Halloween 
like in 2019 or 2018. So uh, as far as the retailers go, uh, do they alert people? You, you mentioned short, short supplies. You know, Costco is telling people, hey, we, we may run out of some products here. Do retailers do that with Halloween items? Let people know, get here. Well, I don't believe they've done it yet. But I suspect you'll hear some of that between now and Halloween. They'd like to get a little more stuff stocked in the stores before they start telling people, come now. Thanks so much for all the insight. Always good analysis from Jan Rogers-Niffin, CEO of J. Rogers-Niffin Worldwide. As Jan mentioned, about $10 billion expected to be spent on Halloween candy decorations and also pet costumes this year. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. If you've been in a restaurant drive through lately, you've likely noticed slow-moving lines, maybe a messed-up order. Let's find out what's going on. Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, also known as the Restaurant Coach. Izzy, what is going on? I've noticed the same thing about the drive throughs I think just about everyone has. Absolutely, Cisco. And I have traveled, you know, just in the last eight days, I've been in four states, including the South and today in California. drive throughs uh, are a nightmare uh, overall. Uh, uh, many of them don't have uh, a lot of the products. Uh, sometimes they're, they're uh, not offering products because they don't have enough staff to cook them. But the drive through itself, uh, again, uh, they have very few staff inside, so the orders take longer. I think one of my pet peeves is the double drive-through, where you know management is allowing cars to go through two uh, drive-throughs at the same time or place two orders at the same time, but again, don't have enough staff. I waited just this week uh, almost ten minutes in a line of cars, and I finally pulled out. And that's one of the big burger chains uh, that's out there, and that's not unusual. I think uh, our wait time is probably double what it was uh, a year ago. Yeah, because they, pre-pandemic, they were trying to get more and more people in the drive-thru because it's, it's just more profitable to be able to get more people in the drive-thru. And now they're almost a victim of their own success, as many have created these double drive-thrus. How are they addressing it? Because it's a, it sounds like it's a labor shortage issue. It is a labor shortage issue. And, and my uh, you know recommendation to those uh, you know fast food chains that have the double drive-thru is, look, if you don't have enough staff to handle the you know even a single drive-thru, well, shut down the second one and people driving by, if they see a long line, I would rather uh, have them uh, pull away and go somewhere else instead of waiting, 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 place your order, wait some more, and then just pull out of line. Because when I pulled out of line last week at a double drive through so did two other cars right behind me. And, you know, we go to a competitor and we're not going to go back for a while. Uh, you know, to that to that particular chain. Are you finding, I noticed this in my neighborhood, are you finding a lot of uh, these fast food places have closed their dining rooms altogether, making it so you either come through the drive-thru or you don't get served? Uh, as a matter of fact, again, I've been in Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, today, California. Every drive-thru that I've gone through in the last 10 days, not one dining room was open. And that's, again, a personnel issue personnel issue they can't handle having people inside and sometimes one of the big reasons they don't want people inside is then they have to have somebody to clean the dining rooms clean the bathrooms you know do those things so they'd rather invest their employee time and sensibly so uh into as many people producing food as possible is it as simple as pay people more money and you'll get more people i mean that sounds simple is is it that simple 
It, it is not that simple. I mean, I, I've seen uh, McDonald's in different places paying as much as uh, $17 an hour. Uh, still can't find anybody. So, you know, it, it is uh, whatever, you know, work shortage or uh, issue that we're having, people just aren't either that they're not showing up or I, I talked to one manager at a fast food place while I was there last week, uh, hired three new staff, trained them, and then on the day that they were supposed to start work, nobody showed up. So they, they definitely have their problems, but I think the biggest issue is the drive through If you don't have enough people to serve two drive throughs shut one down, let people go somewhere else, because it's their lunch hour. You don't have time to waste 10 minutes just to drive off and try to find food elsewhere. Yeah, pivoting for sure, uh, as uh, as the situation necessitates. Thank you, Izzy Karish, the restaurant coach based here in Chicago. The noon business hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Mayor Lightfoot is announcing a new vaccine campaign in Chicago. We've got to do more to protect our, our residents, and we're committed to doing just that. And it's for this reason that Protect Chicago 77 is designed to engage residents in all of our 77 designated communities areas with the ultimate goal of ensuring that at least 77% of residents aged 12 and up have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine by the end of this year. The effort includes videos, weekly updates on neighborhood progress, and stories from residents on their decision to get vaccinated. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell warning of economic consequences if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling. A new report finds the U.S. could fall into a recession if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling this fall. According to Moody's Analytics, the lack of action could wipe out as many as 6 million jobs. This week, the House passed a funding bill that includes a provision to suspend the debt limit. It's unlikely to move forward in the Senate. Elise Preston, CBS News, New York. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Stocks are trading higher today. Let's see what's going on here. Jim Awad is joining us. Senior Managing Director at Clearstead Advisors, LLC, based in New York. Uh, Jim, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, it's a positive reaction to uh, uh, to what Powell and the Fed said. Basically, essentially, their message was, we think the economy is strong enough to withstand taper uh, over over the next uh, several months and eventually a modest increase in interest rates. And so that gives you conviction that the economy is strong enough to withstand that. At the same time, by their doing that, they reduce the chance that inflation is going to get out of control. So if you have a strong growth with the Fed that's attentive to inflation, combined with the fact that the China problem, the Evergrande problem for the moment, uh, seems to be contained uh, and is likely to stay contained, that's not certain, but seems seems likely, uh, then we can uh, we we basically gain back what we lost when people were worried about what the Fed was going to do and what was going to happen in China. And does that show the the drop earlier in the week? I mean, it, it seems like what we've seen here as the week has dragged on is uh, that wasn't just sort of a sign of an even bigger drop to come. No, I don't think so. I think that the, the, the basic fundamentals of a growing economy, growing profits, uh, reasonable financial conditions, uh, uh, interest rates that might go up somewhat but are still not going to go up so much as to threaten financial assets, and the lack of compelling investment alternatives. I mean, if you put your money in the bank today, you'll get uh, uh, 10 or 15 basis points. If you buy a five-year bond, you're going to get 1.5%, and, and um, you can get a, a, a lot of stocks yielding more than that, and that have growth and growing dividends. So uh, while the markets come up a lot, I think it's, it's still a relatively benign environment. 
We see tech stocks uh, also doing well. Obviously, the Dow rising, probably eh, probably doing the best today, but tech stocks rebounding. Uh, you still see uh, the, the tech sector as really the place for growth? Well, in the, in the immediate term, I think almost everything quality will work. When you get confidence in the economy, some of the reopening trades will participate along with tech, tech being a secular growth story that's going to drive this economy for the foreseeable future. So in the short term, I think um, uh, everything that has uh, quality to it will work. But in the long term, I think tech is the driver. You'd mentioned the reopening stocks. I'm thinking some of the travel stocks. You have airlines, you have cruise lines, you have hotels, and they've done pretty well, but there many of them still not close to where they were pre-pandemic. Is it still fair to use those pre-pandemic numbers as kind of the benchmark of where those stocks should be, or are we just in a different world now? Yeah, there's a hybrid answer to that question. Uh, uh, the, the environment will be better than it is now, but we are, we are going to uh, live with this virus and with variants of it for the foreseeable future. So travel, travel will, will, will improve from where it is, but not necessarily get back to where it was pre-pandemic. I think you're going to have some permanent change uh, in, in consumer behavior and in business behavior. Uh, but that doesn't mean that as you regain confidence in the economy in the immediate term that they can't have a further bounce over the next several months. And so that, yeah, that would mean that with those stocks, you're thinking more long-term. If you want them to get to those pre-pandemic levels, you, you, it may happen, but you're going to wait a while. Yeah, you, tech, is a be, tech is a better secular story uh, than those. You buy those for uh, after they get uh, hammered uh, uh, for, for, you know, the Delta variant, the scare about the Delta variant. Uh, you buy those to sell them, not to hold them. Technology, you buy to hold. The Fed uh, pulling back on some of the stimulus. Is that a concern among investors? No, I think the Fed is happy that the, the investors are happy the Fed is doing that because you have this very high inflation in the short term. Some of it is transitory, but some of it has the potential to creep into the economy and become a secular uh, problem. So the, the fact that they're uh, reducing uh, financial ease, I think, is viewed positively as a check on in inflation uh, t uh, potentially becoming more of a serious problem. Say a word about needing to keep a, a longer term perspective, given the fact that at the beginning of this week, everyone seemed to be worried about uh, this this Chinese property developer, the market's tank, and yeah. now, I don't know, a couple of days later, I, I guess most people aren't that worried about it anymore. Well, you know, every study shows that the, the longer the time period that you look at, the higher uh, equities produce the, the best return of other uh, asset classes. So uh, especially if you're young, if you're trying to grow your capital, uh, stay away from the emotion. I think it was Warren Buffett said, if you give me a choice, be somebody who's smart or somebody who's got a good temperament, I'll take the one with the good temperament. Don't panic when, uh, when there's emotion in the markets. Thanks so much for all of that analysis. Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director at Clear Stead Advisors, LLC. It's Technology Thursday. It does not appear the highly popular video game Fortnite will be returning to Apple's App Store in the near future. Let's get the latest on the dispute between the two companies. Angelo Zeno is here, Senior Industry Analyst at CFRA Research, based in New York. Angelo, what is this battle about? Yeah, I mean, listen, this it's been about 10 days now since we actually saw the outcome um, with between the Apple Epic Games uh, trial and, you know, from our view, that was uh, an actual kind of mixed um, decision there when Apple was viewed as not being uh, a monopolist by the courts, but the courts did view that Apple, um, you know, did hide critical information from consumers. And as a result of that, um, you know, Apple um, no longer can keep developers from providing links 
um, for in-app, Apple in-app purchases. So as far as this case is concerned and, and what um, you know, Epic is trying to do here, Epic is trying to kind of play with app, within Apple's rules and get back within their ecosystem. But at this point in time, Apple's saying, no, thank you. Um, you know, you've kind of breached, um, you know, uh, some of the, the clauses that, that you know, we're, we look at from, from our developers. And as a result, um, they're refraining from having Epic back um, within their ecosystem until, um, you know, I guess this appeals process now um, plays itself out. So it, it sounds like what Epic is hoping for is that a court will rule that it, it doesn't have to necessarily follow those rules that Apple has set out? Yeah, I mean, pretty much so, yes. I mean, Epic is, you know, is continuing to kind of, um, you know, look to kind of get, you know, due process here on their end. But, you know, on Apple's side of things, um, you know, they're going to do everything they can to kind of protect their um, fee structure out there and that being their, their 30% fee structure, um, which is at this point in time from the, the outcome that we saw a week and a half ago um, remains intact. But, um, we do think that outcome that we saw back 10 days ago um, does set the stage for potentially future cases from other developers and even potentially U.S. antitrust authorities out there. Um, so this is Apple at this point in time kind of, um, you know, trying to hold um, onto dear life in terms of um, their services business and the revenue potential there. Interesting, because Fortnite, you know, hugely popular. How, how much, I mean, does this really hurt them? I mean, it shows Apple's power, obviously, and yet Fortnite, still a lot of people playing it on other platforms. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about the actual outcome that was announced out there, the stock took about a 3.5% hit. And um, our view is, um, you know, even, you know, it, and Apple doesn't break out its revenue in terms of Fortnite or, you know, does it do that with, with any other developer out there? But as far as the potential implications that outcome does have on its actual business, um, we think it's absolutely minimal, probably less than 1%. And um, the reason so is because, um, you know, consumers are unlikely to change their behavior with purchases within the app ecosystem. So even if Apple is required uh, to provide links out there to consumers, the question is, are consumers actually going to change their behavior? And we just think that's unlikely. There may be some that do. Um, but at the end of the day, this is going to have an absolutely minimal impact for them. What's your recommendation on Apple stock? We got it at 146.73 today, up a little more than a half a percent. What's your recommendation on this stock? So, so we continue to like the shares. We do have a buy recommendation. Our 12-month target price is $160. And, you know, a big reason for that is um, we love the pipeline that the company has in terms of product offerings here over the next couple of years, whether it be AR glasses, uh, foldable phones, potentially Apple car, healthcare. Um, tons of opportunities, but specifically the, the opportunities on the service side of things. Um, as the company eventually moves to hardware as a service, we think is an absolutely enormous opportunity for them. Thanks so much, Angelo Zeno. He is Senior Industry Analyst at CFRA Research. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Dana Carvey and David Spade here. You might know our podcast, Fly on the Wall. We decided to do a spinoff called Superfly, and it's fun. It's just two of us riffing on current events, pop culture. When I looked up the flight, when that door flew off, these people were dead yeah. silent. Everyone just quiet. 
I don't think I could contain him. I think that's free reign to wail on your call button in that situation. <laughs> bung, 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 bung. Hey, I don't want to be a pest. Was there a door when I got on? <laughs> Listen to and follow Superfly on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Chicago-headquartered Boeing set to open its first assembly plant outside the U.S. Let's learn more. Joe Schwederman, professor of public services, director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. Uh, Joe, help us understand here. What's Boeing doing? Well, a big announcement. When Boeing opens a final assembly plant, it really is a, sort of a big deal with uh, lots of investment and jobs and things. And, and they're opening their first plant overseas. It's going to be in Queensland, a town called Toowoomba, uh, Australia. And uh, they're going to make uh, the drones there. And these are not uh, small drones you might see over a, you know, over a city. These are large uh military aircraft so it's uh raising some eyebrows are doing this overseas and is this a a cost savings venture i mean they, they think they're going to be able to save money by doing this trying to understand why they would do this in australia yeah i mean it's a significant uh partly because those jobs aren't going to be in the united states but uh they uh, have a global market for military equipment in queensland and australia have a long relationship with selling uh products uh to that part of the world um the uh the sense is that they're uh you know they're they're trying to diversify outside the United States. They've had some labor issues here in the United States that have uh you know raised questions about uh the productivity and unions and so forth. That could be a factor. Uh we also think that um spreading its resources uh keeps its customers happy around the globe. You know, of course, we are here in Chicago. We're headquarters for Boeing. Uh, we hope someday a prize for that is to get a Boeing assembly facility here. Uh, but we guess we'll have to wait. Yeah, and going forward, I, I would guess that some people are now watching to say, hey, is this just the beginning? Will Boeing have other plants in other countries? You know, I think, uh, I think Boeing's bounced back pretty well. And uh, we're going to see more uh, of these facilities around the world. They have a facility in China, and that's been a little bit of a... Of a, of a cursed facility, you might say. They're making 737 Maxes there, and the Chinese government hasn't allowed that plane even to fly again. So Boeing, we see, is in the middle of all these big international disputes, and uh, I think it's uh, uh, they're trying to use their production to sort of say we're not an American company, you know, trying to uh, um, sell you an American product. We're a global company that's part of your own economy. And I think Airbus has done a better job with that. I mean, Airbus is located at one of its big production facilities uh, in Mobile, Alabama, uh, partly to overcome those uh, foreign relations issues of, of not seeing as a foreign producer. Thanks so much, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024.
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Dana Carvey and David Spade here. You might know our podcast, Fly on the Wall. We decided to do a spinoff called Superfly, and it's fun. It's just two of us riffing on current events, pop culture. When I looked up the flight, when that door flew off, these people were dead yeah. silent. Everyone just quiet. I don't think I could contain it. I think that's free reign to wail on your call button in that situation. <laughs> bung, 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 bung. Hey, I don't want to be a pest. Was there a door when I got on? <laughs> Listen to and follow Superfly on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> 